Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. We're talking about basketball today. So I'm Bill DeFilippo, and I'm here with Chad Markulix. Chad, what's happening? Howdy. And I'm also here with Eric Gibson. Eric, what's going on? Nothing, man. What's going on with you? Uh, not much. Uh, it, it, this is weird because it is an episode where we're going to talk about some rather unfortunate things, but Dan Smith is not here. He is probably out and about celebrating his birthday. We don't know, but best to Dan. Anyway, let's talk about Penn State hoops. Let's... Uh, we're going. It's been a while since we last spoke. I think the last time we spoke was after the Wisconsin game. Uh, do I have that right? After the George Washington game, I after, believe. Okay, after the George Washington game. So it's been a while. Uh, Penn State's three and two in that stretch. Wins over well four and two. Sorry, George Mason, Binghamton, Coppin State, and Northwestern. And then of course losses to Ryder in Maryland. We're going to ignore most of those games. We're going to start. With the negative, we're going to talk about Ryder in Maryland before getting into Northwestern and talking about two guys on the roster who we think deserve uh, a little bit of praise for their play of late. One who has been a Big Ten player of the week caliber of guy over the last couple of days and another uh, who's really endeared himself to fans lately. But let's start uh, with the more unfortunate stuff. Uh, Two losses, one to Ryder, one to Maryland. Uh, Penn State fell to Ryder 71-70, to lost to Maryland 75-69. to uh, Eric, for those who might not have watched the games, those who might have done a good job blocking the Ryder game from their memory, what went wrong in those two losses? Yeah. Well, starting with the Ryder game, um, I kind of blocked a lot of that game from my memory as well. But um, I ended up watching that game um, on tape delay, actually, um, I forget why, but I think I had some friends in town for the holidays or whatever, and we had made the editorial decision to not worry about the Ryder game simply because we all expected them to win, and if they won, nobody would have cared because they were supposed to win, um, and then they ended up losing. So I ended up watching the game after already knowing the results um, after the fact. And from what I remember, it, it, they just kind of they just gave a half-hearted effort um, from my impression of watching it, it, it was a pretty stereotypical pre-holiday game. The guys want, wanted to go home the next day for Christmas, that kind of thing. Um, and I remember they were, um, the, I mean, they were comfortably ahead pretty much like the whole game, but they never extended the lead. It was one of those deals where um, they would get up like six to eight points and then Ryder would make a couple buckets to cut it to like one possession. And then Penn State would go on another run again and keep them at bay um, until late in the second half when um, Ryder just kind of kept hitting shots and Penn State tightened up. Um, you know, and then obviously the big thing at the end of that close game was uh, Lamar Stevens missing two foul shots that would have sealed the deal with however many seconds left, 15 or 10 um, which allowed for Ryder to come down and hit that that miracle three. Um, so yeah, not not a good loss. Obviously, this was the um, type of loss that we were hoping that they would not suffer, considering how weak their strength of schedule was and that kind of thing. The the repercussions this this loss is going to have on their postseason resume at the end of the year. Um, it's bad. I mean, it, it, and you know, and obviously. The perception of losing at home to a smaller school like, like Ryder um, kind of reverberates. And, and I kind of wrote about that on the site for those who, who missed it. Um, you know, it kind of it immediately lets the cynicism that permeates this, the overall Penn State fan base when it comes to the basketball team. It, you know, it, you see that they lose a Ryder, you immediately 
say it's the same old Penn State basketball. They're terrible. I'm not going to spend any time watching them, following them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so that was definitely a, um, a tough loss to, uh, you know, considering just considering the, where the program was and where this team was and what they need to accomplish this year, that was definitely a, uh, a deflating loss. And, and Sandy Barber has more or less said, no, I actually think she has said verbatim, like, this team is going to get judged on what it does in Big Ten play. So, I, I mean, if you are of the belief that Pat Chambers is uh, the man to lead this program, this loss was bad, but the big test is coming ahead still. I mean, it was, I, I'm looking here at the box score, and it just looked like down the stretch, Ryder the you know from basically the last four minutes or so of the game, Ryder just kept attacking, kept getting to the free throw line, kept doing stuff like that, and was able to get this game and win this game. Uh, Chad, we'll go to you uh, for the Maryland game, a game that I know Pat was very upset about after, uh, namely because of the free throw disparity. I Maryland shot thirty four, Penn State shot four. Was that? I mean, when you look at the score, 75-69, it appears that that would have been the massive difference between the two teams in this one. Yeah, I mean, a 21-point differential at the free-throw line is uh, kind of alarming and a little bit ridiculous, even though it is in the Big Ten. Um, if I may, if I may, you, if I may sure. for just one second, from watching that game, was that more of Penn State not attacking or were they just not getting calls? Um. It was a physical game. They didn't attack as much as they should have, maybe until it was too late. Um, when you know, maybe they were expecting whistles when it wasn't going to come uh, clearly. But uh, it was a physical game all throughout. I, I didn't think it was very, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it, there shouldn't have been a thirty-point margin in, in free throws attempted in that game, even though um, it was at Maryland. So obviously, that's that's kind of ridiculous. But still, um, Penn State was in the driver's seat for a lot of this game. Um, they had, I think a five point lead with, with, uh, six minutes or so, or, and something like that left to play, um, had a chance. They had a chance to get a win on the road against, a, against one of the better teams in the big 10. Um, one of the teams that would have been, um, one of those resume building wins that, uh, are, are going to be so few and far between for Penn state. So, um, you know, Mike Watkins was great again, 17 and 17, um, couldn't ask for more from him. Tony Carr really struggled. Uh, three or fifteen from two point range. That's you know we were talking about that on a previous podcast that he was so much improved from two point range. Well, actually, not so much really. Uh, he's he struggled a lot recently with that, and the Maryland game was really a just a, a not not what you want to see from your senior your sophomore uh, star player there. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's just kind of Penn State's mo though recently these last two years especially. Uh, you know, being a close game, have a chance to win it and just fall apart down the stretch. So um, something to build on, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, I guess it was kind of similar to the last time they were played at Maryland where um, they were up, they had to control most of the game, then Diamond Stone turned it on. Um, but in this game, I guess, you know, I, I, I mean, Anthony Cowan was great for Maryland, but other than that, there wasn't like a, a singular performance like that. So this is uh, just tough to win on the road of the Big Ten. And they, uh, they don't have that many opportunities to get wins like that anymore, so it's definitely a blown opportunity. Yeah, as I'm looking over the two losses uh, on Ken Palm, uh, against Ryder, Tony 1 for 8 from 2. Uh, against Maryland, Tony 
three for 15 from two. Yeah, it just seems like one of those... I don't know if it's one of those ebbs and flows that happens over the course of a basketball season, but it's still something that uh, you'd rather not see, uh, especially because however fleeting they were... were eh, I, I won't say that. However uh, leg, much legwork Penn State had to do after you know losing to Wisconsin and NC State going forward to rack up some wins in order to make it to the NCAA tournament, I think a lot of people, when you look at where this team's at right now, barring them just turning it on down the stretch... And, you know, beating a Michigan State or a Purdue and making that little bit of a run in the Big Ten tournament, it seems like even though Maryland is a top 40 team in Ken Palm, Ken uh, Ryder at 127 in Ken Palm, it seems like those hopes might be, uh, it might be wishful thinking at this point, Eric, to think that Penn State could make the tournament. Is that after the losses against Ryder in Maryland, is that something you'd agree with, or do you think there are reasons for optimism down the stretch? Well, I won't say down the stretch, for the rest of the season. Uh, well, it, it, right now, as of today, um, no, they don't seem to have a realistic shot. Now, uh, that's because with kind of all the blown opportunities that you just mentioned, um, they're 12-5 and five now, and really kind of the target record um, that they should be shooting for with considering their non-conference schedule and the weakness of the Big Ten um, was 22-9. and nine. That was kind of like the target mark. So um, right now they're 12-5. and five. So to get there, they'd have to go 10-4 and four over these last 14 games. Um, they also they have a road trip to Michigan State. They have a road trip to Purdue. Uh, both of those teams are elite teams, so those are likely losses. Um, but then, you know, it really comes down to what are your thoughts on the Big Ten and what are your thoughts on their talent? So right now, if I say that Penn State has a chance at, um, at the tournament, I don't think anyone can really take that seriously considering they haven't really shown it to this point. Um, but I, I still maintain kind of the position I've always had. I, I really think, you know, actually now with all the latest happenings in the Big Ten, that I think you can make the case that Penn State's got the third or fourth most talented um, starting lineup in the league right now. So um, the talent's there. I, I believe in the talent. I think they could do it. I think their schedule is manageable. I think um, the Big Ten's vulnerable. Minnesota has kind of gone from looking really good to kind of being in crisis. Um, and then half the league is already projected to finish over 100 in the RPI. So um, as far as how many like tournament-level games that they have on the rest of their schedule in this Big Ten schedule... You know, you'd probably say at Ohio State, at Michigan State, at Purdue, um, and then they have Ohio State and Michigan at home. But the rest of the, their, the the games that they're playing, maybe Maryland, maybe Maryland still gets into the tournament. But with the Big Ten only projected to get like four bids, you know, there there are winnable games on this schedule. Ten and four doesn't seem too far fetched when you kind of consider this team. Um, and the talent on this team, and you you strip away the Penn State on the front of their jersey, um, you would say that this team could definitely be an upper half team in the Big Ten. So, so that's kind of like where they're at. You know, and really, it's going to have to start happening now. Obviously, that you know, going ten and four over the last month and a half here, you know, there's not a lot of margin for error there. So, you know, they have this stretch right now. They just they're coming off this win against Northwestern where they dominated, um, and then they got 
kind of three or four winnable games right here too to kind of string a three or four game win streak here together to kind of get them out to like a five and two start that would be ideal um and that would put them back on pace to potentially get to that 22 and nine target record yeah certainly i mean Getting a little bit of momentum and in heading into that trip in Columbus, especially after what Ohio State did to Sparty today, would be pretty nice. Um, and I completely agree with you. When you look at this starting five, I mean, this is a starting five that can go punch for punch with most teams in the Big Ten. It's just uh, maybe some depth stuff, and this is something that we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, but... Let's, uh, let's talk about something positive. As you mentioned, Eric, Penn State went out and had a rather uh, rather solid performance against Northwestern at the Bryce Jordan Center. Won, won that game on Friday, won that game 78-63. to 63. Uh, Lamar Stevens had 30, but in a testament to how good he was, Mike Watkins was the Ken Palm MVP, 18 points, uh, 17 rebounds, 4 blocks. We're going to talk about Mike in a moment, but... Uh, Chad, when you watched this game, like, what are your thoughts going through your head as you watch Lamar Stevens go 13 for 16 from two, or you watch Mike Watkins, you know, really just toss Derek Pardon around and do basically whatever he wants and really make it look like Penn State has a front court that if it's able to round into Fortin down the stretch can give basically anyone trouble. Uh, my thoughts were that this is the team that we should have been seeing all year. Um, you know, this is the team that this is how they're capable of playing. They're capable of just utterly locking down their opponent. I mean, Northwestern is not a terrible offensive team. Um, you know, they had Brian McIntosh back. They didn't have the excuse of um, not having their point guard against uh, Nebraska when they lost that game at home. Um, they're not a terrible offensive unit. They have they have weapons, um, and everyone pretty much was shut down except for for McIntosh, and even he did not have. Um, the most efficient game. So, um, you know, this is this is a team that's capable of playing like that, and a team like that should, in theory, uh, be competing for a tournament spot. Um, and like you said, Mike Watkins was outstanding again. Um, he's really coming into his own off- offensively. He's really making a difference. Um, and and kind of, um, I guess I'd say his post moves are a lot more improved. He's looking to to go quick when he has the ball in the post and and just make um, make the best of whatever he has down there. And he's he's, he's Pretty good, a good passer out of the post too, um, and Lamar. Yeah, Lamar was just awesome. Like nobody could stay in front of him the whole night. Um, Northwestern, I don't think really has a guy. I, I would have thought Vic Law would have been able to, you know, contain him a little bit, but no. I mean, none of them could stay in front of Lamar. He was getting to the rim at will, and that was, I think, was was a certain point of emphasis from Pat too. Um, I think he mentioned that in the post game interview on FS1 um, that he asked his guys, you know, try to get to the rim more and try to, you know, get to the line. And Lamar only had three free throws. Um, but he was just—he just got such clean, you know, pass to the rim that he was—he was getting whatever shot he wanted all night. So, um, you know, you're not going to get uh, 30 points on 16 shots from him every night. Um, but still, I mean, that's—that's that's the kind of thing he's capable of, and the, the kind of performance this team is capable of as a whole. So, um, I like to see that more. Obviously, I think every everybody would like to see that more. Uh, and they had the opportunity here these three these next three games here at Indiana, which, which did just beat uh, Minnesota on the road. who was without Reggie Lynch. Obviously Indiana themselves are without Deron Davis. They're their star big man. So um, that should be a good opportunity for Mike Watkins to have another huge game there. Um, I think that's a game Penn state should be able to win in Bloomington, despite the fact that it's there. Um, and then Nebraska at home, 
Uh, don't write them off completely. They have some good guards, good talented transfers too. James Palmer, Isaac Copeland. Um, and then Minnesota at home, again, dealing without without Lynch and that whole ugly situation they have going on there. So um, there's there's opportunity to get three wins here and then move to five and two. And at that point, you know, depending on how they look, um, that we could, I don't know if we're talking on tournament yet, but we're, you know, they'll, they'll be in position to, to put themselves in position, if that makes sense. They'll be in position to have, you know, get big wins. I, I mean, Ohio State would be a big one at this point. They just beat Michigan State today. Um, Michigan State and Purdue, unfortunately, play them only once on the road. But um, still, you know, there's 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 limited opportunities, but there are opportunities yet. So uh, if they can string together some momentum here and and look good doing it, I think uh, you know we'll see what happens. Crazy things can happen in college basketball. Yeah, for sure. And then after that Minnesota game, they have to go play. Northwestern in Evanston, and that you know that's four games in a row that Penn State on Ken Palm is favored to win. And just to kind of illustrate how good Penn State was uh, against the Wildcats, as I'm looking on this, Penn State's minimum win probability against Northwestern was 74.4 percent, and that's when the game was tied 0-0 with 19.49 left in the first half. Like this was the kind of like wire to wire game that it's encouraging to see Penn State put together and, you know, outside of, uh, you know, outside of Pitt and did, did they do that against Iowa? I can't recall the Iowa game right now. I'm, yeah. It was wire to wire, but it was a tight game. The whole yeah. Game. Yeah. And, and outside it. So yeah, really outside of the Pitt game, Penn State against the quote unquote major teams they have are, you know, they haven't played too many. They went out and they went wire to wire and they were able to, just control that basketball game. I mean, Eric, what were your thoughts as you're sitting there watching this Northwestern game and watching Penn State? Uh, yeah. You got you got to pump the brakes a little bit. No. Um, <laughs> are you for, saying that to me or are you saying that to the train that is in the background for, of Chad right now? Yeah, I didn't know, well, I didn't I know mean, if that was your house or if that was Chad, no. but anyway. Yeah, we got uh, Norfolk Southern Railroad back here. Sorry about that. Nice. Right no on. Worries. Free advertising for them. Yeah, I was no, going to say, if you're listening to our podcast and you're astute enough to realize that, God bless you. <laughs> okay, Eric, continue, please. Yeah, sorry, my uh, just like lost my headphones there for a second. But anyway, um, so yeah, I was saying pump the brakes because like it's Northwestern. This Northwestern team is not good. I wanted to. Chad said something like, um, "This is a team that we've been wanting to see all year." We have seen Penn State play like this before because they have smashed some terrible teams before. Um, you know, Northwestern was coming in. They were coming off a 15-point home loss to Nebraska. And, you know, we just – we talked about Nebraska. We don't really know how – Yeah, good they, they, had, they didn't have McIntosh, though. And they're not like a – they're not – Exactly. And McIntosh came back and had this massive brace on his leg. So we don't really know how well um, he – I mean, he, he played all right, but he wasn't really – I don't know. I, I didn't really see him get in the lane very much. I thought, you know, with Jamari and some of the – and I think we had Reeves on him a, a couple times – um, we were able to keep him out of the lane, um, so I, I mean it, it was a it was a great dominating win. But like th- that should be the expectation for this team, um, night in and night out. So you know because c- we're in this in the Big Ten here, and as we if we've been railing on how terrible the Big Ten is, it's kind of like what what I want to see is I want to see that kind of performance in their good games, which kind of goes back to the Maryland game. We went in the Maryland game. They didn't have Justin Jackson. They didn't have Ivan Bender. They had just lost those guys in the last week. Um, so they're thin up front. And here's an opportunity for them to go on the road. And they played pretty well, um, you know, despite 
Tony's terrible game, despite um, how many offensive possessions they wasted on some questionable shots. Um, they had that opportunity. They were up, what, like five or six with like five minutes left. Um, and they gave that away. So uh, we just got to see that more consistent, consistently. We've been talking about it all season long. Um, and, and hopefully we do here because, like I said, the, the talent's for real. Mike Watkins is is very close to being an all Big Ten player if he's not already. Um, you know, there's some there's some definitely some good bigs in this league. Um, but I think Mike Watkins through four Big Ten games is averaging 19, 12, and four blocks, which is just absurd. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't gotten the recognition that he is due yet. Um, you know, we, we were kind of talking about how we thought he had a shot at the um, Big Ten Player of the Week award this week with uh, back-to-back 17-17 games. Um, but unfortunately, Keita Bates' job kind of went off this week as well for Ohio State, so I'd expect him to get it. Um, but Mike Watkins has been so, – so when you have one of the best big men in the league um, and you have guys like Tony Carr and Josh Reeves um, and Lamar Stevens, when Lamar Stevens is, brings his A game, um, Penn State's a really good team. Like they, 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 they should be a good team. They should be able to rack up some wins in this league. Um, so that should be the expectation for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's talk more about Mike just cause I, I, yeah, I don't know what you guys thoughts are on him. He's, I, I think uh, Eric, if I may, incredible. I think he is very good at basketball. I would agree. Okay, good. Because like you mentioned in four big 10 games, uh, against Iowa, 19, seven, 19 and seven and 36 minutes also blocked uh, 36 minutes also blocked three shots against Wisconsin, 34 minutes, 22 points, eight rebounds, seven blocks against Maryland, 35 minutes, uh, 17 points, 17 rebounds against Maryland, 31 minutes, 18 points, 17 rebounds, pulling up his uh, conference-only effective field goal percentage is 72.1%, which is the best mark in the Big Ten. I, I mean, that would – did he take his 1-3 against a Big Ten team? Yes, he did. So, I, I mean, it should be like 0.1 points higher because of that 3, neither here nor there. Mike has been insane, and it, Chad – I do this sometimes with uh, Lamar Stevens. I do this sometimes with Tony Carr. I do this sometimes with Josh Reeves. But with Mike Watkins more than any of them, I just laugh when I watch him play and go, how on earth did that guy come to Penn State? Like, what what is it that makes him so special? And what step forward, and you alluded to this a second ago, has he taken this year that has turned him into, like Eric said, a potential all-conference big man? Well, part of it is, I think... Um his hands separate him from a lot of other big men. Um, it's really hard to find a big man in first place. You know, there aren't that many seven foot six, 10 guys around just, you know, not doing anything waiting to be recruited. Um, and when you do find one, it's really hard to find one that has a hand eye coordination that allows him to catch a lot of passes and, and get rebounds like Mike does. Uh, and Mike just, he, he he's a vacuum. He sucks everything up. He catches every pass into him. Uh, he, he grabs rebounds that he has no business getting with, you know, just, tipping it to himself or getting it with one arm or one hand. Um, and just like, you know, watching him compared to some of the other big men we've had to deal with, uh, deal with watching in the past, you know, however many years, you know, going back to, to Calvin Booth even. Um, Mike is just another level, another caliber big man that Penn State does not get and probably will not get for a while because it's just, it's so hard to find a guy like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean his coordination sets him apart. His shot blocking obviously is is so huge for the defense. It allows them to to gamble on things and play in a 
in that one, two, two, whenever they can to, to try to disrupt defenses or offenses and get steals. That's why, you know, the, the blocks and steals ring that Penn state have right now, are they're, they're 11th in the country in block percentage as a team and fifth in steal percentage as a team in the country. Um, that's, I think that's mostly because of Mike Watkins. He allows you to do so much defensively that you can gamble on, on taking risks in the passing lanes and stuff. And, and Mike's there to be a security blanket. So, I mean, he's just, he's so huge for this team. And, uh, I'd shudder to think what would happen. Uh, I, you know, I, I wager that Pat would probably be gone by now if Mike wasn't here. Yeah. And uh, the fact that Eric, I think the big thing with Mike this year compared to last year is just he looks so comfortable offensively when they dump the ball down to him. And not only that, he also seems like he he just knows when to attack the rim. You know, a shot's going up. I have to go up and I have to get it. And then once I get it, I immediately put it back into the rim. Uh, talk for a second about the strides that he has made offensively because he, I, I, I mean, 17, 18, uh, 19, and 22, you don't do that on accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I would I would hesitate a little bit on that just because I don't think he is a super refined low post offensive weapon. Oh, yet. absolutely. I mean, it, we're not at the point yet where we can just go down the court, have him post up, dump the ball in, and he's going to do some kind of move or whatever. I mean, he hasn't re- he hasn't really shown a jump hook um, in his two years here, um, and usually when he gets the ball in the block, he usually ends up taking some kind of fadeaway, um, or he'll try to uh, go baseline or something. He had that crazy shot. At, in the Northwestern game. I don't even know how he got the ball. I don't know if you guys remember this play. I think it was in the first half. Um, he went baseline, got caught way underneath the hoop, um, and got stuck in no man's land. I don't even know how he ended up flipping the ball up um, without even using the backboard and getting that layup. That was ridiculous. Um, but, the, but the reason why he's so good on offense is just like, you know, like Chad was saying, he's a vacuum. You throw the ball anywhere near him, he's going to go up and get it and um, – and dunk it. He's, you know, we, we always complain about Julian Moore because every time he gets the ball, he always brings the ball down to his knees. Um, fortunately, Mike Watkins is, you know, not like that at all. His instincts is always to keep the ball high and go straight up. He's got a quick jump. Um, and with his length, he's able to throw down plenty of dunks. Um, I, I had actually, let me pull this up. I had gone through and um, charted Mike's shots because over half of them are dunks. Um, and a lot of them are also set up by Josh Reeves. Um, so give me a second here and I'll pull up some numbers for you. They have some great chemistry, by the way, the, uh, I mean, how many times do you see them run that kind of like weak side pick and roll where Josh starts yeah, kind of in the corner and then Mike screens for him and it either ends in an alley-oop or like a free range or free lane for Josh to, to do something. Yeah. Real quick on Josh while Eric is looking this up. I mean, when I was looking at, uh, Penn State's Kempom, I did not expect to see that Josh is 22nd nationally in O rating. As I'm just looking through all this, 22nd net, 133rd -hmm. in effective field goal percentage. He's awesome. I I mean, I don't think we can say enough how much fun it is to have Josh Reeves on Penn State. But Eric, were you able to... That's a future pro, Josh Josh Reeves. Uh, Yes. uh, (laughs) Chad and I will have to bet a a dinner on this or something. But uh, yeah, 
Eric. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I went through some, I combed the pay, some play by play logs the other night when I had some time. And um, this was before the Northwestern game, unfortunately. I don't have the complete updated numbers because he put up a huge game against Northwestern. But before that game, he had made 81 field goals and 42 of them were dunks. So that's 52%. And then of his 81 field goals, 32 of them were assisted by Josh Reeves, which is 40%. The next highest player is Tony Carr with only 10 assists to Mike, which is kind of astounding. So um, Josh Reese obviously is, is a big, big uh, factor for Mike's success because those two just feed off of each other. Um, they always know where they like Josh, every, like Chad was saying, every time he's got the ball and he's driving to the hoop, he's always looking to set up Mike or throw Mike a lob or that kind of thing. Um, they did it again uh, at the, you know, it didn't work against the, in the Northwestern game, but the first play they did, they came down, they ran Mike off some kind of back screen, and Reeves tried to throw him an alley oop, but unfortunately, it didn't work on that play. But, but yeah, they're always they have that connection. It's pretty, um, pretty incredible to watch, and we would like to see that ideally more often. Um, you know, we're going to talk more about the offense here because of Tony Carr's struggles, um, and how can they get more touches for Mike to to work inside out and kind of take some of the pressure off of Carr that he's putting on himself trying to carry this offense when his mid-range game has kind of gone ice cold in recent games because he hasn't been taking the greatest of shots. So, um, yeah, Mike's incredible. Need him. All bets are off if he is out for any reason. Um, you know, this team, he's. I think he's the most valuable to this team. I mean, you can argue Reeves, too. Um, you know, and obviously Tony Carr is a great player, but... I don't even want to know where they are without Mike Watkins because he has been the anchor and ever since he's been able to start playing 30 minutes a game, he's been crucial. Um, we haven't had to suffer through Satchel Pierce minutes and even Julian Miller when he comes in hasn't been that bad because he hasn't have to stay on the court for long stretches. Um, and he's kind of finding a little niche and finding ways to contribute in his limited role. So that's, that's good. Hopefully they can keep this up. Um, you know, we didn't really talk. I, I forgot to mention this about the Ryder game. Part of the reason for the game being close is because that was the first time this season Mike got into some pretty bad foul trouble in the first half, and he only played like three minutes in the first half. So, unfortunately, he was not a factor for that game. But, um, yeah, I hope he keeps doing what he's doing. He's one of the top three, five big men in, in the league. I mean, you got Nick Ward at Michigan State. You got Isaac Haas, obviously. Um I really like Bruno Fernando, but I still yeah. I still say Mike Watkins is a little bit better than Fernando. <laughs> uh, but who else? Like who else would you? I, I mean, obviously Ethan Happ's incredible, but he completely outplayed Ethan Happ in that game, yeah. which is what's so annoying about that loss is that Watkins just dominated him. Um, the stats back it up. So um, you know, who else would you even put in that category with him? Like I don't I don't I'm not coming um, up with any other names. I mean. I, I like Pardon, but he's not on the same level. Yeah, he just uh, dominated Pardon. Yeah. So Caleb Wesson, maybe I don't know. It's uh, it's slim pickings, really. Yeah, that's him. what I'm saying. So he should easily be at least third team all Mo, Big Ten. Mo Wagner probably. too. Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner's definitely good. We'll see him up yeah. against Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner's a different type of big, but mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that, that, I would put Mo Wagner up there. Uh, but yeah, so so yeah, he should definitely be an ultimate conference selection at the end of the year for sure all right eric making a prediction on the uh 
January 7th edition of the podcast. I like it. Um, I will say this. If, if one of our players does not win defensive player of the year, I'm going to lose my shit. One of the, <laughs> if it's not Josh or, or my listen, listen, winning before, defensive player of the year, I'm going to lose it. I mean, that's fine, but you got to kind of happen, but it's, it's, there's some really good defenders in this league. I'm not going to sit here. I mean, Michigan state's defensive stats. No, I, I gotta be honest with you. Yeah. I didn't see the, I didn't see the game today. Uh, and looking at that box score, it, it's totally a what uh, WTF for me. Nick Ward only took one shot. How did they not get the ball into Nick Ward? Um, and then Ohio State. Skinny, but yeah, that's Ohio State finally is the first team this season to actually have any kind of offensive success um, within the uh, three-point line against Michigan State. Michigan State's played um, – how many games have they played now? They've played 17, 17. games – 14 of them, they held their opponents under 40% shooting from two-point range. That's, that's like, insane. So, you know, Jaron Jaron Jackson is a freak shot blocker. He's a tremendous defensive player. He also got in some foul uh, trouble, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he fouled yeah, in 24 he, minutes. Yeah, today. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, but we're talking – I'm just talking more of defensive players of the year. There's definitely some other people. You know, Dakota Mathias is, is pretty unbelievable, too. And he has a better reputation because he's on a better team. Um, so I could see him getting some love. You know, he's definitely going to get it. Not thinking about it. Um, he's definitely getting it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just Ugh. saying they should definitely be <laughs> on the all defensive team though, because I yeah. don't think either of them yeah. were on it last year, and that was kind of garbage. Right. But, well, but yeah, I don't think either of them are going to win the the player of the year. Well, my issue with this conversation is that um, while uh, Mike and Josh are both great. We're forgetting the real best defensive player that Penn State has, and that is Jamari by God Wheeler. Yeah, um, it's crazy that Josh Reeves does not have the highest steal percentage on this team. He's averaging like two point it, what jo- six, six Josh, steals per game. Steal percentage is at four point five percent, and he is fifteenth nationally, and that is not the best on his team because whenever Jamari is in the game, he is just you know pickpocketing people, and uh, we. He's not a great shooter from three. I mean, that's kind of that, that, that's beyond obvious right now. He's still connecting on forty-eight percent of his shots from two. I mean, what he brings defensively when he checks into the game, the energy for Penn State just goes up to another level. He doesn't seem scared. He seems like he is honest to God, ready, willing, and able to go out there and fight against anybody and. I mean, Chad, what he is able to bring to this team is for a Penn State team that doesn't have the best bench on earth. I think that's uh, that might be putting it a little, little lightly, but doesn't have the best bench on earth. Having a guy who is able to come in when uh, Tony is struggling or Shep is struggling, or even I suppose Josh is struggling in a way, is it, it's awesome, and he is. He is turning into one of the unsung heroes of this season for Penn State. Yeah, I'll sing his praises. Um, you know, when that shot comes around, and I think it will, the form is the form looks good. I don't think it's I think he's having a case of the Josh Reeves freshman year shooting woes. It'll it'll come around eventually. Um, but yeah, I mean he's a gamer. He he just he's not like you say, he's not afraid at all. Um, I mean six point oh steel percentage, like that that's insane uh, for a freshman. Um, he's super quick, super agile. Um, yeah, I mean, where would we be without him? I don't know. This is a team that goes seven deep on a good night, and he's one of those those seven. Um, and he, he, you know, we he, he's the reason we, we we won those two games we had without Tony Carr. I, I think because without him, I don't know who else is. You know, we're not 
we're not doing so well. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, we've, we said like five times before on this podcast, but, um, thank God Jim Ferry got fired cause, uh, we got him and, uh, Jamari out of it. So there we go. Um, yes. He's 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 going to be a stud down the road. It's just a matter of when it clicks for him shooting wise. I think. Oh, he's. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's already a stud in my mm-hmm. opinion. And frankly, I, I I mentioned this to you guys. I think he is the best six man Chambers has ever had in his seven years here. I, they've never been able to bring anybody off the bench that was able to influence the game, um, like he has. And now, and you look at his stats, and you're like, well, how the heck is this guy? You know, re- you know, impacting the game. He's a terrible shooter. Um, he's got terrible offensive stats. Um, but if you watch the Northwestern game, he came in and within the span of like a minute forced two turnovers against Bryant McIntosh, who is one of the league's best point guards. He's been around forever. He's a senior. Um, you know, you know, maybe that goes back to like we were talking about earlier, how healthy was he, but still, but we've seen Jamari do that to so many other players so far in his brief career. Um, it's truly incredible. And, and, you know, I think we also got to give some kudos to um, the Tim Frazier comparison, just because it's Absolutely. not ridiculous. It's completely on point. Um, the sp- they have the same speed, uh, and Jamari, when he's on offense, kind of has the same type of vision where he is always looking to set up his teammates. Um, and he has to go through the same development that Tim Frazier did in the sense that neither one of them they're always pass first to a fault. They they don't shoot the ball when they have the opportunity. I remember there was one play in the Northwestern game where Wheeler drove down the lane off of a a pass, and he tried to set up a an alley to Mike Watkins when he had a super easy floater straight on. All he had to do was hit it off the backboard. And I believe it was Lamar. You could hear it on the broadcast who yelled at him, like, shoot it, Jamari. Like, he's going to have to go through that. But that's exactly what Tim Frazier had to go through. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I think he's already, like, more ahead – of Frazier as a freshman just because he does look a lot more comfortable shooting the ball than Tim ever has. I mean, Tim's, Tim's in the NBA, and I still every time he shoots the ball, it's like you, you have no belief in his shot. I think Jamari can get there. Um, I think Jamari's got a much smoother release. And, and, he, and here, he, what is he, 4 for 22, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And I know he's, and he took a couple of threes in the last couple of games that um, may have been some questionable shots for some people, but – if he's open because everyone's going to keep sagging off of him yeah. because he's yeah. such a quick driver. Um, Just got, you got to take the shot. Yeah, yeah. He is. He's gonna, th- those shots are going to be there, and I want him to keep shooting. I know a mm-hmm. lot of people are probably yeah. not going to want that. That's the only way he's ever going to get better. Um, he's going to have to work through that. I mean, and, and like we said, you, you made the Josh Reese comparison. You know, Reese is now a 42% shooter after he was completely unreliable his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Freshman year. So for Jamari's development – I definitely want to see him shooting those shots. Maybe not necessarily against Northwestern when you're getting anything you want at the rim, um, but he's gonna. Those shots are gonna be there, and he's gonna keep taking when people are gonna be like, "Oh, he's a he's a ten percent shooter. He shouldn't be taking that shot." No, I want to see him take those shots because once he starts shooting from out there and he's a threat from out there, and it's he's over. comfortable offensively, he's gonna be so good. Um, you know, so. So he's really kind of changed the game, you know, if you want to go back to like the 2017 recruiting class and talk about that, um, you know, because he came in as soon as they lost their bench last year in the spring when they lost Samuel Banks and um, Isaiah, Isaiah, you know, they needed to get some bench guys. They got these three unknown recruits. Everyone's kind of like, you know, who are these scrubs, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Jamari really ain't no scrub. He's going to be – an impact player for the next three years. 
um, if, since he already is for this team. So I, I'm super thrilled um, with his play. And, and, and you know, we, there's actually been some people floating out the idea that perhaps he should start cutting into Chef's minutes um, to take over at the one, have Tony more off yeah. the ball. Well, um, we'll see about that. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think um, the guys love Jamari. He's respected in the locker room that that could be something that, uh, especially if it helps them play better and they and they start, you know, producing more points on offense. You know, yeah, everyone loves playing with Jamari because he sets them up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And w- w- first things first. I mean, I'm looking right now, and uh, Jamari has made more threes than Josh did as a freshman, which I, I <laughs> like. I, I forgot. Josh that was an all time great, like fluky, he bad was shooting season. Three for thirty nine. Uh, a cool point zero seven seven percent, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to bring that up, uh, Eric. There has been chatter of whether Jamari w- would Penn State be would it behoove them to move Shep to the bench, have him be the sixth man, have Jamari come out help set the tone, and then have Shep come in and provide a little more of an offensive punch. Uh, if Tony's having an off night, if Jamari is, you know, you know, if Jamari's not a great shooter, if Josh right. having an off night, anything like that. So what do you think about if someone were to say, I think Jamari should start and whether he gets more minutes in the chef, I don't know, but Jamari should be out there from the start of the game to set the tone. I don't know if that the starting thing matters that much, but, um, yeah, there's some to that point when you have the lineup, when you have, um, you know, when Tony and, and Josh are shooting over. 40% or whatever they're shooting right now. You can, you can afford to have not have Shep either. That's his primary thing. Obviously, you know, he's, he's been our, our three point shooter, our, our floor spacer. He's been, he's been good this year. You know I mean? He's, he's right around 40% right now. He had a rough start, but he, he's come, he's put it together since then. Um, but one more thing on Jamari, like individually, um, I looked at his Kempom player page. Uh, you should check this out. If you haven't, you guys, uh, his, uh, player comparisons, our uh, freshman freshman year Briante Weber, <laughs> freshman year Chris Kramer, and freshman year Javon Carter, Hell yeah. who were like th- three of the best defenders in like the in recent college basketball memory. So uh, that's pretty cool, and uh, it, it kind of points to the it's future that Jamari has. Yeah, yeah, not wrong at all. It's pretty crazy um, that they they were lucky enough to find him and get him um, because of what happened at Duquesne. Um, <laughs> could you imagine him in the A10? <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> he would be eating it up. Okay, and honestly, they were really hyping him up um, coming in. So yeah, you know, actually, Duquesne's actually doing all right. So I can't hate too much on Duquesne. They they went to Keith Dambro, who was like, "Oh, my team's going to be so terrible. I can't play Penn State this year." And then they're like three and zero in the A ten right now. Um, so they actually made it out all right. But yeah, I'm glad Jamari's in a Penn State uniform. I, I hope he's. You know, I can't wait to see the rest of his career play out. Um, you know, and, and you think about it with him and then Miles Dredd and Rasir Bolden coming in after them, um, you know, after Tony and, and Josh leave, they're still going to have a pretty good backcourt. So yeah, can we talk uh, about Rasir's night uh, last night? He had uh, what? 37 on 13 shots or something like that. Yeah. Let's, yeah we can talk about sure. recruiting real quick. Um, so yeah, so, so yeah, Rasir takes- Bolton decided he's going to, uh, just become unstoppable, which is very fun. Yeah, yeah. So there's, um, you know, Penn State's two fall signees, really the headliners of their 2018 class. Both were in uh, premier high school showcases over the weekend because they're all over the place. Um, Miles Dredd played in the One Cancer 
event that's an annual thing in Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, Chambers and Ergo were there. That game was actually broadcasted on ESPN3 if anyone wants to dig that up and check it out. Um, they played Matt Moderday from Cali, if any of the, the football people should know that school. Um, huge school out in, I'm assuming it's got to be in L.A., um, talented team. Miles had a, a pretty standard Miles game. Um, he is the senior on his Gonzaga team, like the lone senior since um, Hub tore his ACL. And there's, I think they're still undefeated. So um, it was a back-and-forth game. Matter day went up um, eight points, I think, in the third quarter. And things were kind of on the fritz for Gonzaga. And then Miles Dredd just drains the three. And it was like it got his team going again. So... Um, he's still improving. He's rolling. But then really the headliner was Rasir Bolton, who was in another uh, event against Hargrave Military Academy. So so these guys are playing big schools. They're not playing some weak competition that these numbers are putting up. Um, and I don't know. Do you guys did you guys look up their stats? Do you have the stats in front of you of his game last night? I don't remember what they were, but they were absurd. Uh, it's um, around your summer, but I think it was like 37 on 13 shots, 5 of 8 from 3. Um, right. he, had yeah, that, yeah. he had that highlight dunk too that was ridiculous. Oh, he took off yeah. like one step inside the free throw. We can, line, yeah, right? we can put that in the uh, in the podcast post for everybody to see. But, cool. Uh, so yeah. Chad just volunteered to write the podcast post. Thank you. Chad. Sure. For once, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so yeah, so having those two guys in the fold is definitely definitely good. Um, you know, we don't know about the rest of the recruits. You know, and, and also let's, like let's kind of like take the, the conversation here because obviously, you know. Um, you know, it's a big year for Chambers. We don't know the future of the program. They might fall short of the tournament. If they fall short of the tournament. What should they do? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. So they really have to finish this year strong. But the the whole reason for this year being so important was for them to take that step forward. It would also help them take that step forward in recruiting because um, right now they have their backcourt all set. But their front court is still super thin and is super reliant on Lamar and Mike. And if the, once those guys leave, you know, if they don't have replacements for them, we're not. This isn't going to be something that's going to last, so to speak. That's something that's always been quoted by Chambers and the, and the coaching staff when they talk about how long it's taken to get this program on its feet. It's because they're, they're taking the time. They want it to be sustainable. They want it to last. Um, and their recent recruiting especially in the front court with some of these reaches um, kind of kind of makes you wonder like really how much momentum do they still have out there or is the fact that it's taken them so long to win starting to hurt their recruiting efforts just because, you know, it's kind of hard to say that you're going to turn a program around when seven years has gone by and you haven't made the NCAA tournament. Um, so if you think about like the last actual, like in the actual calendar year, the last recruits that they've gotten, um, other than Bolton, um, in the last nine months, they got Buttrick, they got Hera, they got um, Jamari. Well, Jamari, yeah, Jamari's there. I'm talking more front court. Oh, okay, right. right. Front court focus, and then they got Tolu Jacobs, and they got the the Russian Kasakin. I'm gonna, I'm hoping I'm saying his name That's right. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, I'm not going to hate on any of these players individually, um, just because obviously the two that haven't even arrived on campus, we don't even know yet. And, you know, Buttrick, we, ha- we don't really know what he is yet. Um, and Hera, I've actually been kind of impressed in, the, in his limited action. But, you know, just when you think about it in, on the, recru- in the recruiting standards, all those guys are completely off the radar. They're not on the rankings. They're not, they don't have star rankings, star ratings or whatever. Um, they're, they're, they're what you would 
label reaches and having one or two reaches is fine, but having four reaches kind of makes you wonder really how sustainable, um, is chambers program going forward. Cause like I said, this whole sticking with chambers was because of his recruiting and being able to lure the talent that would give them the margin of error to maybe not necessarily play perfect every night, um, but still be able to compete for tournament bids, that kind of thing. That's where, I mean, that's really where this program is just trying to go to where it can semi annually compete for the NCAA tournament. Um, say what two out of every three years, three out of every four years. Um, we, we, we don't, we're not necessarily shooting to be a top 25 program. We're not shooting to be big 10 champions yet. We got to be able to crawl before you can walk or whatever. Um, but you know, if they're going to keep taking these reaches, how likely is it that they're going to be able to um, sustain or whatever? So, so obviously, going heading. I mean, we don't want to look too far ahead because obviously, this next two months is going to really dictate a lot of the future of this program. Uh, but if you want to talk about recruiting, this 2019 class has to be a good recruiting class, and it has to be good in the front court. Um, and there's there's talent out there. Uh, fortunately, I mean, we'll, we'll. I don't think we've provided too much content unfortunately we'll have to start we'll have to kind of come up with a primer post or something with the talent that's out there but there there's actually a lot more big men out there um in the 2019 class in penn state's um footprint than there is um than there was in the 2018 class so if you if you're still trying to look long term you know if they fall short of the NCAA tournament this year how likely or how confident are you that chambers is going to be able to land that recruiting class um, this summer, if like, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just kind of, yeah. Chad, what's your take on that? The contract situation is still tenuous too. Like we need it. He needs to have a good year this year to, to get that extension for recruiting purposes. And then, you know, it would help to have a recruit in place to show to Sandy, like, Hey, this is still going, this is still, uh, still building and we can still continue this the, mm-hmm. the progress here. So, um, real, you know, real quick, it's, Chad, it's all cyclical. It's always Chad, if I may, are there any yes. uh, kids out there right now who, Outside of Bolton and Dread, maybe like a front court player who could kind of be that guy. Twenty nineteen, there are some there are some targets, yeah, for sure. Um, Twenty eighteen, I feel like they're they're pretty much done with Tolu, um, and they're gonna ride with with Hera, I, I assume too, for you know as a future center player though. Um, but as far as twenty nineteen, um, yeah, I mean there there's some names. Uh, it's not like I said, it's not gonna be any twenty eighteen kids. There's nobody really that's on the radar for 2018 anymore. Um, I believe there's a uh, Brandon stone in, in the Pittsburgh area. Um, Eric Dixon and Abington, which is not, he's not like a huge, you know, six, yeah, he's, going to Villanova. he's Villanova. Okay. Was, <laughs> I've been keeping up as much. Yeah, as I do, but he's, you, he you heard it here folks, first folks. <laughs> yeah. I, I fully expect Dixon to go to Villanova, unfortunately, but, um, but yeah, he's not even a big man. He's more of like a hybrid Chris yeah. Jenkins type score. Um, but yeah, we don't want to focus too much on recruiting because, because like I said, we want to get more of like, what is the expectation for Chambers this season? And I, I don't, th- I don't know why people like are acting like it's it's a question. It seems pretty obvious to me from how little Sandy has actually said, and all, all she keeps saying it's the Big Ten. Um, they need to take a step forward. Um, basically, they need to make the NIT. Is really kind of what. I view as the expectation because if they're going to make the NIT, they're going to at least win eight or nine big 10 games, if not more, um, which will be improvement. And again, if they're able to bring everybody back and add Bolton and dread, 
it's completely reasonable to expect this team to be even better next year. Um, even though they lose Shep Garner and they lose Julian Moore, but if they get Watkins and Stevens and Carr back with Reeves, I don't Reeves isn't going anywhere. Um, they'll be solid. Um, and, the, and, and with that backcourt depth, we could see more pressing like we've been wanting to this season. Um, cause I, I fully expect Dredd and Bolton to play immediately next year. Um, I mean, Bolton's kind of light, but he'll definitely get some time. And, and then hopefully, you know, we can see more of what Chambers wants this team to actually be when he has more personnel options at his disposal. Um, but, but so if they say they go to the NIT this year, that, that, that's why I'm trying to like loop this back into recruiting. Say Penn State goes nine and nine, they finish. Um, I guess that would make them nineteen and twelve, um, and they make the NIT. You know, and Chambers stays. You know, how's that? Like, what is the perception of the team going to be like? Because I think the fan base is still going to be very adamant online about how unacceptable this is and how. Um, you know, Chambers should be fired. How we don't care about basketball, blah 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 blah. Seven blah, years, blah. nothing to show for it, all that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to hear all that all over again. And opposing coaches can show all recruits that this is you know this is the hot seat that Chambers is working under. You know, how confident do you think Chambers would be to land that recruiting class this offseason? Because that's really what's gonna matter. I don't want this to be an Ed Ticello situation where we finally got everybody. And we waited till the very last possible second to actually make the NCAA tournament and then went back down to the bottom of the, of the ladder again. You know, this is something that has to be sustained. That's the whole reason why we've been patient. That's the whole reason why. Um, why he's gotten why, this long. Yeah, recruiting. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. Like, so it, it's going to be interesting to see um, kind of how that plays out. But if they make the NIT, I fully expect Chambers to come back. Um, does he get a contract extension? I think he probably will. But you know, honestly, I think so, I think we should maybe not. Um, I think we kind of overblown that point, and, I, and I'm guilty of that too. Just because it obviously didn't hurt them in the 2018 class with Dredd and Bolton, and also just kind of the you know with how with all the talk about um, transfer rights for these athletes and how coaches can leave at any second, it's kind of like already assumed that coaches can leave at any second. You know what I mean? Like I don't think. Um, people are that concerned that like if I go there you, you know you're gonna leave right away you can go anywhere and a coach could leave right away I mean unless you're going to like a blue blood or something um with those lifers like Calipari and Roy Williams and them um but I don't, I don't know how much the coaching extension is really the contract extension I mean how, how important that is to be able to land recruiting I think the the bigger the bigger issue would be how do you answer seven years in no NCAA tournament you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, that would suck. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> we've kind of, uh, I, I think we've kind of gotten off the, uh, you, you know, we lost the plot, which we are wont to do on this podcast. So let's talk about our final thing, uh, which is I, I posit that there are zero good teams in college basketball, especially in the Big Ten. Chad, do you agree? Uh, yes, yeah. you do. I mean, Thank you. Okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. All right. Is that it? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean I, the Big Ten. There are two and a half, three good teams uh, any given day. Um, yeah, you know, I mean teams are going to lose. Like NC State beat Duke the other day. Um, you know, teams. Not every team's going to win every game. I feel like that's kind of an over, overblown thing now. Like, oh, if a team loses, they suck. Well, 
you know, it's, it's really hard to win every game. And it's really hard to go on the road and win. Um, and it's just, and it's basketball. It's not like, you know, it's why we play the games because the ball bounces a certain way. Shot goes in. It shouldn't go in. It, it's basketball. It's fun. It, there should be upsets. I don't see what the big deal is, but, but um, you know, the, the Big Ten definitely stinks. Uh, there's no way around saying it. There's no two ways about that. Uh, Michigan State's good. I mean, they got got by Ohio State today. Purdue's good. They're going to get got by somebody. Um, just the, the nature of, of basketball. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what the point of that is. But, yeah, it, it, the, basket, college basketball is still college basketball. It's, yeah. not, it's not any different than it's been before. Eric, are there any Big Ten things that you would like to discuss? Yeah, no, I, I think um, what Chad said is right. I mean, yeah, Michigan, Michigan State and Purdue are good. Like, like let's not like act like they're not good. Frankly, I think either one of them can make the Final Four. Um, they have the the talent and the coaching and the experience and all that. Um, both those teams are really good. And I think you got to talk about Ohio State. Obviously, what they did today is really impressive. Um, Keita Bates' job has been the Big Ten Player of the Year. I don't even think that's questionable. I mean, actually, I mean, so it, the season started out and everyone was like raving about Jordan Murphy because he was right. he was putting up ridiculous rebounding numbers and well, his double, double double streak, his streak got, finally got snapped. I think right this last game they played. Yeah, perhaps. He had he, double I mean, doubles in every game before that. Yeah. So he's been a freak too, but um, I think you got to give it to Keita Bates' job just because of the expectations of Ohio State coming in this year. They fired Thad Mata in the middle of the summer, kind of unexpected. I mean, expectedly, but not unexpectedly, just because of the, the timing, timing weird, yeah. um, whatever. But they were able to lure Chris Holtman in from Butler. And um, I mean, what can you say? They had eight scholarship players or whatever when he got the job, so much that he had to actually take on Andrew Dockich. <laughs> and, and they're well, playing. Listen, it. before you say anything, I'm not, I'm not talking Eric, about this. Bank before free. you say anything, early, earlier this season, I was watching a game on ESPN, and Dan Dockage said he was the best transfer in the country. No, Dockage, well, I mean, obviously, he's biased, but he's been, <laughs> been good this year. Like yo, yo, time out. Time out. Dan, Dan Andrew Dockage is shooting 79.6 effective field goal percentage. What the heck? He's taken 27 shots. This year. Yeah, he, he never shoots the ball. Yeah. His, his usage is lower than Nick Coella's. Um, so, but yeah, no, but like you got to give it like Chris Holman's obviously earned his bucks. And then you got to feel happy for Keita Bates' job, you know, with his injury history that, that he was always supposed to be this good. Um, you know, he was a top 50 player coming out of high school. I know Michigan really recruited him. Um, you know, it's it's nice to see players kind of reach their potential like that. Um, he, he, and hopefully he, you know, I would assume he's going to go to the NBA after this year. I don't can't, can't see him playing any better after this, considering he's coming back from an injury. Um, so you got to give credit to Ohio state that they look legit. Um, and, and honestly they look like the third best team as, as far as, or the third most likely team to be able to secure a bid, um, to the NCAA tournament. They had a good non-conference schedule. They didn't really win any good games, um, in the non-con, but they, uh, they played good games. They went out to the Phil Knight thing um, where they played Gonzaga and Butler, and they had that horrible meltdown against Butler. Um, they lost to Clemson at home, but Clemson has looked legit. Um, they, they're 14-1 and and 3-0 in the ACC. Um, so, yeah, Ohio State looks like an NCAA tournament team, which is kind of crazy. And that actually really helps Penn State because um, there are two play for Penn State. We play them twice. We play them at home and on the road. So, that road game is definitely going to be a potential quality win, and honestly, if they if they're able to keep rattling off wins, I think they're projected to go like thirteen and five or something in the Big Ten. Um, 
if they if they put up a, a gaudy record like that, I would assume that they have a chance to be top thirty in the RPI, which would mean Penn State playing them at home would be a quality game, which would be huge. And that's huge because, like I said, the other two two plays that we had coming into the season that were supposed to be difficult were Northwestern and Iowa. But those, those both of those teams have tanked, um, and they're going nowhere. They're not even going to make the NIT. Well, Northwestern might sneak in the NIT, but. Um, you know, losing those quality games from those two teams, at least Ohio State's been able to make that back because Ohio State was picked to finish in the bottom four just because, like I said, they only had eight scholarship players or whatever it was um, coming into this season. So shout-out to Ohio State. They're, they look pretty good. Uh, but as far as the rest of the league, you know, we, we didn't really touch too much on the Minnesota thing. They lost Lynch with that sexual assault um, investigation that apparently was, like, the worst-kept secret on campus. Um, sounds like they're going to get all sorts of hell for that, as they should. Um, and then Amir Coffey's out for the next two or three weeks or something like that too. So Minnesota went from being one of the more talented teams to, cause they were ranked in the top 25 in November to kind of falling apart here. Um, and, and they, they have the same issue with Penn state. They have a terrible RPI schedule. Um, so they're going to have to really kind of, you know, buckle up here and figure out a way to, to play shorthanded and have some guys step up if they want to, uh, make the NCAA tournament too. So other than that, who else is in the Big Ten? Uh, Michigan's looking pretty good. Well, I think you got. Get, I mean, honestly, Michigan's looking pretty good. Uh, John Beeline, you know, the point guard situation. Xavier um, Simpson has kind of taken the reins there. They've won. Michigan's won seven in a row. Um, they beat Iowa on the road and Illinois at home. Neither one of those games are super impressive, but they also beat UCLA and Texas. So um, Michigan seems to have kind of found its rhythm here. They have a huge stretch coming up now, though, with um, Purdue and Michigan State back-to-back and then Maryland at home. So uh, we'll see what Michigan is, but I think Michigan's going to end up being a, a pretty clear tournament team as well. Outside of those four teams, though? Garbage. I think Maryland's good. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I know there's... I have How are they going with the Iowa right now? Do they win? I think they won, yeah. Um, um yeah, I think you got, Cowan's legit. Cowan, Fernando, Fernando's good. He's going to be uh, yeah. big for them. He, he's a talent. Um, Cowan, Herter, and Fernando are definitely good. And honestly, Justin Jackson was not having a great season before he right. got hurt. So honestly, him being gone for the season might ne- not necessarily be the worst thing in the world just because yeah. he was playing injured already. Right. Uh, but then again, not having Bender and really having nobody behind him, then yeah, they're going to have some yeah. issues. So I don't know we'll how good they are in comparison like the rest of the country, but like in the Big Ten, they should rack up some wins. For sure. Easily, I feel like so. Sure. Um, also, I just I was looking at uh, Ohio State's page on Kempom and I saw they lost to Clemson. And I like checking them out every once in a while because they're kind of analogous to us with the whole Brad Brownell situation. They haven't made the tournament in forever either, and he's been there seven years. Um, that's that's uh, they look like they could be Penn State or next year's version of Penn State, or you know what I mean. Like if you look at you their think- roster, it's all juniors and seniors. Yeah, uh, they lost a big player last year. Uh, and Jerome Blossom game, but like, you know, they're 15 in Kempom right now. They're on the verge of signing Zion Williamson, apparently. Um, Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, all the Crystal Balls have been, have been pouring in to, to Clemson for Zion Williamson. Yeah. Holy crap. I didn't know that. I missed mm-hmm. that. So, you know, just saying, if you keep faith, it might, might pay off. No, no I, there's other there's other coaches that have examples <laughs> like that. Um, Kevin Willard. Well, Br- well Brunell and, and Chambers are the two longest tenured guys who have been yeah. in tournament. So, so basically well, I, what Chad is saying is that uh, the Pennsylvania <laughs> version of Zion Williamson, which I believe is Cam Reddish. Lynn Greer. Lynn Greer. There we go. Lynn Greer is coming to Penn yeah, yeah. State. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. Uh, yeah. 
Just saying. Well, Kevin, I'm just saying Kevin Willard is another example. Right. Yep. Of a guy who took a long time to turn Seton Hall around, and they're about to go to three straight NCAA tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yes, my beloved so. Pirates. Very good. Uh, yeah. Um, we mentioned Zion Williamson. We talked about teams in the Big Ten. We talked about that. Yeah, we can wrap this I up. Think we're, I think yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, so yeah. We kind of uh, went off the rails again <laughs> on some random topics, but what, what thanks for we, listening. What have we ever done that? Yeah, I guess it's kind of implied. Usually it's yeah. Dan's job, but I was, thanks uh, for being here. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we say it on basketball at least. That's good. Yeah, I was going to say, if you made it through, as always, if you make it through the entire Hoops podcast, please let us know because we really want to know what people make it through an entire edition of us, entire hour of us rambling about Penn State basketball. But yeah, uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh Buy some shirts. Still very nice. Still very comfortable. I believe we have a sale going on right now. So go get yourself some Roar Lions Roar gear. Follow us on social media uh, at RLR blog, Roar Lions Roar on Instagram and on Facebook. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Subscribe to the podcast. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a review. Do all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, one last time. Thank you for listening. For Chad Markulix, for Eric Gibson, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all.